So I'm going to go ahead and, and we're going to look at our passage for this morning. It is in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. No, 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 17, sorry. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abiud. Abiud fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akim. Akim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Eliezer. Eliezer fathered Mathan. Mathan fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do... uh, in our hearts, Lord, we humble ourselves, Lord. Uh, we, we're not literally falling on our knees but, uh, this morning, but maybe we should. As we uh, come into your presence, the presence of um, the same person who enfleshed himself um, in the womb of Mary, who was born into this world, your eternal son, Lord, uh, to hear your word to worship you, to be encountered uh, with your love. And we pray that you would do all these things and you would help us in our need and our weakness right now by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, this whole month, we have been celebrating um, Advent. And Advent, uh, very simply, that, that word means arrival. So the Advent season in the life of the church is... Um, contemplating the fact that the Christ arrived in Bethlehem. But not just that, he grew up and became a man and said, you know what, I'm going away. So he resurrected, ascended into heaven. He said, I'm coming again one day. So at Advent, we are thinking about his arrival again, his second coming. So it's a time of, a, time of waiting. And you, you guys are never going to believe this. Maybe you, maybe, you, maybe you will. I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate Advent, then looking at this list of names one more time. One more time. So this is our, our third, uh, third uh, sermon on this list of names. We're out of, la- we're out of names, okay, at this point. So uh, there will be no more names uh, after uh, today. And here's what we're going to see today. Here's what we're going to see. God loves forever. That is the big idea that we are going to camp out on, the fact that God loves forever. All right? Um, are you guys okay if we start off with a question today? All I need is one person. That's all I need. One person, uh, give me permission. The question is, what is love? What is love? Now, I can't even think about that question without seeing Will Ferrell and Jim Carrey uh, in my mind. Um, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. That Saturday Night Live um, skit, what is love? You know, I don't want to do it too hard. I don't want to mess my neck up. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't think about it without uh, seeing that in my mind. Listen, we all know that love is important. You, you know, we say things during the holiday season like, you know, it's not about the gifts. It's not about stuff like that. It's, it's about other things, other things that are more important, like love of your family, uh, love of, lo- loving your kids. Um, in case you don't know, my last name is Love, right, which I'll admit is a shady uh, last name for a pastor. 
Pastor Love, right? But I promise you, I didn't change my name uh, to be Pastor Love. I was given that name at birth, right? I just happened to have a shady uh, uh, last name for a pastor. Um, but you know what? When I tell people my last name, I've never, heard, never had anybody go, Ricky Love, get out of here, love. You know what I mean? Uh, we watched Home Alone as a, as a family uh, this past week. And the finale of that movie, you guys know, uh, he, uh, Kevin was uh, home alone. His parents were negligent, left him there, and he reunites with his family. But after that, he looks out through the window, and it's a beautiful snowy day, and there's the South Bend Shovel Slayer. All right, it's one of my favorite names of all time. My old man, Mr. Marley, is reconciling with his son, right? And the whole thing is about love, right? The love of a, love of a family. And uh, because we know uh, love is important. But I got a suspicion, and the suspicion is that we don't know what love is in our culture. That we don't know what love is. We're, we're lost when it comes to love. Uh, we say things like, love is love, right? And I know, um, maybe not with uh, you guys in the room, but uh, with most people in our culture, it's offensive for me to even raise questions about that. All right, so I'm just like the, the, the guy in the classroom that is inquisitive and just like, uh, is it okay if we have a conversation about this? Is it okay if we have a conversation uh, about love? Because here's what I want to say. That is self-referentially, here it is, uh, incoherent. Love is love is self-referentially incoherent. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it's like if you, ask, if you ask the kid, okay, I want you to define the word run. And they were like, well, running, uh, the word run means like to run, right? It's, it's self-referential. It doesn't make uh, any sense um, whatsoever. It's love without any content. Right? It's just wide open uh, for any type of uh, definition. It's, it is what's called technically nonsensical. And the definition of nonsensical means it has no meaning whatsoever, the word love is love has no meaning uh, uh, whatsoever. So it's, it's basically saying I, I refuse to draw any lines when it comes to love, any lines of uh, right or wrong. So if you refuse to draw any lines when it comes to love, then it means you cannot say anything when it comes to hate. Just think about it. If everything is love and there's no boundaries, then you can't say anything is hate. Because the person you think is being hateful can say back to you in response, well, love is love. And you have no response uh, at that point. Um, if you draw a line where you think something is hateful, even when it comes to human sexuality, my question is, so if we say, okay, when it comes to human sexuality, the line is right here. You can't cross this line. My question is, well, why draw it right there? Love is love. All right? What, by what standard do you put the line right here when it comes to human sexuality? Right? Where, what is your reference point? Uh, if, it's, if there is no definition, there is no content um, whatsoever. Now, my assumption is most of you in here this morning agree with me uh, on this, right? Uh, so, uh, that you disagree with the doctrine of love is love, that is a doctrine and a dogma and a religion, uh, by the way. Uh, so, I'd assume most of you agree with me on that. Uh, so while I'm just, just offending people, I'm just going to go ahead and offend everybody in the room, okay? 
All right, thank you. Uh, it's, it's equal opportunity up in here. Uh, Merry Christmas. All right, so if you uh, disagree with love is love, I want to place a challenge before you. What is love? If you say, well, I disagree with the doctrine of love is love, then I put it to you, what is love? Right, because here's the deal. Here's what we got going on in our culture. We disagree with stuff. We say, I don't like that, but I don't have any way forward. This is what we do. We got people just disagreeing with each other like this, but we don't have any path forward when it comes to love. We're lost uh, when it comes to love. See, disagreeing with love is love, right? Yourself. Both of those are not loving. And that's what we got to see. Love is, not, love is simply not disagreeing with someone. See that? Love is, is simply not, uh, is not simply disagreeing with someone. Having a definition of love that makes no sense whatsoever and not having one whatsoever are both unloving. So where's the love? Where is the love? What, what is love? Right? And it's in this list of names. It's in this list of names. So here's what we're going to see. God is love. First uh, John 4, 8. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. All right, you, maybe you've heard uh, that phrase before, heard that ber- verse before. Now, John, uh, the apostle, is not giving us a definition of love, but he's talking about who God is. He's talking about the nature uh, of God, right? And um, we have to explain this. We have to unpack this, God is love, because this verse is often misunderstood uh, by Christians. It's not saying that God is like a, a cosmic Santa Claus, just loving everybody indiscriminately. Just giving, he's a jolly old man up there, just giving his gifts out uh, to whoever and, uh, and everybody. Um, it's also not saying that uh, love is God. You see that? It's saying God is love. It's not saying that love itself is God. Love and God are not identical, and it's important to know that. It, it, the reason it's important to distinguish the fact that love and God are not the same is because if you make love and God one, then you destroy the source of love because God is the source of love. The ultimate source of love, the foundation root, comes from within God himself because God is a personal being according to the scriptures. There are three persons within God that love one another. This is what Christians have believed 2,000 years, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? There are three persons within the John 17, uh, 24. Jesus, before he was crucified, uh, was praying. And he has this long prayer in John 17 called the High Priestly, high priestly Prayer. Here's what it says. Father. Right? Jesus is talking to God the Father. Think, Father. I want those uh, you have given me to be with me where I am. Jesus, I just want, I want my disciples, those of you who trust in me, to be with me, to be with me in my glory and, and paradise. Look what it says, so that they will see my glory, which you've given me because you loved me. See that? Before the, found, before the world's foundation. So before there was any world, any mountains, trees, human beings, there was God the Father loving His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and God is a loving family. That's what, the, that's what it's saying. God is a loving family of persons that wants to, wants to welcome us into um, His family, in, in His family of love. St. Augustine, in the 4th century, he's probably one of the most influential people in human history. He was a North African uh, pastor. 
And uh, he used the idea of love to explain the Trinity, which is what we're talking about. The Trinity is the essential teaching in Christianity that God exists in three persons, each of whom share the divine nature, without which you don't have Christianity, right? So he, he used love to explain that, and here's what he said. Here's, here's, his, here's how he explained it. He that loves, that which is loved, and the love. You see that? That's how he explained uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. So the person that loves is God the Father. The person who is loved is God the Son. This is a very simple way of explaining it. And the act of love itself is another person, which is the Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So what it's saying is this, that in Christianity, at the very heart of it, at the very heart of Christianity is this God who is overflowing with love. Is this God um, uh, who is full of love. Uh, God is love, but he's also light. First John, uh, and this helps us think about what love really means. First John uh, 1.5 puts it like this. This is the message that we've heard from him. We've heard from Jesus. And declare to you, God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. So what he's saying here is that God's love is not soft on morality. That uh, God tells us what's right, what's wrong. He tells us what's loving and, and what isn't. Um, God doesn't leave loving our neighbor up to us. To say, okay, love your neighbor, and then whatever I think loving my neighbor is, then that's what I do. No, he tells us exactly what it means to love our neighbor. Um, there is no darkness in him at all. It means that God is holy. And what it means for God to be holy is that he is set apart from sin. Uh, that God is completely different than us. That there is no darkness in him. There, there is no sin, no evil, no wickedness within God. He is nothing but a fountain of love. Look, this is what uh, the prophet Habakkuk said in uh, Habakkuk 1.13. He's talking about God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. This means that God hates evil. God hates evil because he is loving this is what everybody does, if, if, no matter what. If you love something, then you hate what threatens or harms that thing or that person. That's just like my family. All right, if we were chilling in my house and someone tried to do a B&E, breaking and entering, all right, the right response is hatred. That is protection and doing whatever it takes for my family because I love them. That's what, that's what you do if you're, you're a good, good dad or you're a protector. I think that sign just launched <laughs> outside. Uh, the wind kicked up a little bit. Uh, God, God is, uh, is, God's love is like a geyser. All right, you guys, has anybody ever seen a geyser in person? No, nah, we don't have them around here, right? But they just like, they just shoot up like a fountain of, of water uh, up, in, up into the air. God's love is, is like that. So, uh, his love bursts forth uh, from his being. It was God's love that overflowed into creation. Here's what, here, here's what I'm saying. That it was the love of God that brought you into the world. God loved everything that you see into existence, including squirrels and trees and rivers um, and, and, and mountains and things like that. Um, God did not create this world because he was bored. 
or because he was lonely or anything uh, like that. God wanted to let us in on his big secret. How much love he's got within, within, his, within himself, within his family. God, God created you to bring you into his family and say, man, isn't this awesome? Isn't this awesome, this, this love, this thing that we got going on um, uh, within, our, within us? That's why Jesus prayed, Father, I want those given to me to be with me where I am. You see that? Jesus is praying to God the Father, God, I want to show them this. God, I want them to be here and to experience um, this type of love. And that was his goal in creation. That was God's goal, a world of love. God intended for your life and this world to be a world full of on earth when Christ returns again. Future goal, that is heaven, which is coming to on earth when Christ returns again. It's going to be a world that's recreated, a world full of love. That's why he came. That's, that's what God created you to do in the very beginning. He created you to be a person of love. That's what he, that was his goal for humanity. But you know what? We didn't want that. From the very beginning, human beings, have, we've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love. Yeah, in all the wrong places. That's what we do. That, that is sin. That is, that, is, that is the result of sin in the world is that we look for love in, in all the wrong, wrong places. We have, all of us rejected God's love at some point, refused it, We've cheated on him. That's a good way to think about um, what's wrong with humanity and what's wrong uh, with our world. This is the way the Bible talks about what's wrong with us is we've cheated on God. Spiritual uh, adultery. Um, This is what Hosea uh, chapter 4 verse 12 says. They played the prostitute serving other gods and deserting their God. This is, this is what the Bible says is true about all of us, that we all have relationships with things other than God that we place above him. I, it could be a million different things. Um, but there's something that we love, that we are passionate about, uh, that we find comfort in, that we trust, that we listen to, that we follow, that we serve, that we are obedient to, that we give our time, money, effort, give our heart to other than uh, our creator. And spiritual uh, adultery. And the end result is a lack of love. Anybody lose power uh, this past week? A couple of us did. A couple of us up in here, and then we heard a kaboom, and then they went out uh, for, for like a day. So something happened down the line where a tree fell, and I think it knocked the whole transformer off, off the pole, which meant the source of power to our house uh, was destroyed. So when we walk away from God, the source of love, then um, we, we, lose, we, we separate ourselves from the source of power. That means when we walk away from God and we, we love other things more than him, then we are not able to love as he intended us uh, to love. This is what... Um, 2 Timothy uh, chapter one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, uh, talks about the Apostle Paul uh, was writing to Timothy, his young disciple. He was a young pastor trying to figure it out. How do I do this? Paul was like, listen, this ain't easy. This ain't easy because, let me tell you why. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Last days began with Jesus, by the way. Just, just in case you need help with your theology here this morning. When Jesus stepped on... Um, 
on the scene, that was the beginning of the last days of the end times. It's been the end times ever since then. And this is what, this is what Paul says. For people would be lovers of self. Right? See, this is where we're naturally at. Our natural bent is to be a lover of self, a lover of money. Boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving. You see that? Paul's saying this is, this is humanity uh, in our natural state. And the Bible is saying that this is all of us. This is all of humanity. Uh, that, we, uh, uh, that, we lack, that we lack love. God's love endures. passage today. This is what leads us to our passage. That God's love endures forever. That's just what this list of names is saying. God's love endures forever despite our, our, us being unloving. Look what it says. Uh, Matthew 1 uh, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David until the exile to Babylon. 14 generations from exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. So what's going on here? Well, Matthew is trying to sum up like a lot of years, like 2,000 years in the history, history of Israel. He is saying that God was patient with Israel for like 1,500 years before he sent them um, into exile until his judgment uh, came down on them. 1,500 years. That's a long time, man. I, I got impatient when my uh, power was out for like a half an hour. Right? God was patient with them for 15, 1,500 years um, before he sent them into exile. So here, here's the story. God gave Israel the land of Canaan. And they were up in, the, up in there um, looking for love in all the wrong places, just like us. And God finally had enough of it, right? And his judgment came. He sent the Babylonians in. Um, and they came in and just, just wrecked, wrecked the place, destroyed the temple, captured a bunch of them, took them back, uh, back to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And, uh, and listen, we're no different than these people. That's what the purpose of these stories in the Bible. Like, we look for love in all the wrong places just like they did. And as a result, we have a big lack of love in our life. And God warned them time and time again. He was so patient with them, year after year after year. But they're a preacher to, to them. And he sent them away into exile. He sent prophet and preacher after preacher to, to warn them. And the exile was a time when it seemed like everything was lost. God didn't love them anymore. All their hopes were dashed. It seemed like Israel was frozen in sin. Just like all the trees and the power lines and everything uh, this past week, they were encapsulated with ice. This is what it seemed like it was when Israel was in exile, that they were encapsulated, frozen in sin and God's judgment. I want to give you an example of this. Uh, one of the prophets, Israel's prophets, a guy named Ezekiel, and he actually was in Babylon. So he was a part of this group of people that was taken into captivity and was there, and God called him to be a preacher and to preach God's word. And Ezekiel 37 is this very famous passage about the Valley of Dry Bones. And if you've never read that, um, that would be a great reading for you this afternoon, the Valley of Dry Bones. So God showed Ezekiel this vision. He said, I, I want to show you something, this valley, this valley like a desert with all these skeletons, like a big, huge graveyard. And God said, this is, this is my people, this is Israel, because they're saying to themselves, our hope is cut off. 
Where's the love from God? Our hope, our hope is cut off. And God says, right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak to those bones. And when, Israel, when Ezekiel did, these bones were resurrected and became new again. And, and they came to life, became a great army. And God says, all right, now I want to give you the interpretation. I showed you something. Now I want to tell you what it means. And here's what it meant. It, that's what it is. That he would forgive them. That he would cleanse them. That he would resurrect. There would be a resurrection somehow. That someone, somebody was going to come back uh, from the dead. And he, and he goes on down in Ezekiel 37 verse 24 to say this. My servant David, Jesus, will be king over them. And there will be one shepherd for the, of them all, Jesus. And they will follow my ordinances and keep my statutes and obey them. In other words, God's love would endure despite all their sin, despite the graveyard of exile, that the Christ would come and that he would resurrect us to where we would actually um, show his love again. And the prophets of, of the exile promised, that, that prophet after prophet, promised that God's love would endure uh, forever. Um, I recently uh, replaced the uh, tires on my car. I had some uh, BF Goodwrench all-terrains. I highly recommend those, by the way, uh, because th I put those things through everything that I possibly could, up on top of the mountain, right, down, in the, down in the creek, in the ice, and in the snow, and in the mud, you know, whatever I could, I could put them through. I never had one flat tire, not, not one nothing, right? They, they endured until there was no um, tread uh, left on them. And Matthew is saying this, now is the moment. Now is the moment when God's love has endured all these thousands of years that the time is now. You're going to see uh, God's love demonstrated uh, to you that the child promised to Mary and Joseph is the king that God promised. The, the, the baby born to Mary and Joseph is the David that Ezekiel spoke about. And he is the Messiah and long-awaited uh, king of Israel. So what is going on when Jesus Christ was born into the world. It is the love of God wrapped in human flesh for all of humanity. Right? That's, what, that's what's going on. We sing the song, uh, Silent Night. It, says, it has this one this little line in it. I love it. Lord at thy birth. What you're seeing in the baby Jesus is the Lord at his birth. Kings came and bowed down and worshipped him because he's God in the flesh. God's love came and dwelt among us. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Uh, if so, that means that he determines the meaning of words, not us. It, it's true. If, Jesus, if God came and wrapped himself up in human flesh, lived, died on the cross, resurrected, is in heaven, it means he is the world's true Lord. That means he speaks from heaven and tells us what love is. And not the other round. Not, not, not us up to heaven saying, God, this is what we demand love to be. No, he speaks down from heaven tells us exactly uh, what it is. And here it is. You ready? Here's God's definition of love. 1 John 4.10. Not just here, but the whole Bible. But here's, a, here's a very specific one. In this is love. Here's love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's love. And I'm going to unpack it. All right, you see, this Jesus became a man. 
and he taught us about love. And he demonstrated it with his life, that Jesus Christ came into the world and he loved those who were unlovely. And guess what? That's you and me. I'm impressed by you personally. I am. I'm very impressed by you. But the scriptures make it clear that we are all unlovely, that we all became very difficult to love because we loved other things more than God. Right? This is what Jesus taught. We look for love in all the wrong places. We love uh, other things more than him. And this is the root of hatred. The root of hatred is we, um, we bypass God and we put something else above him and then we become hateful because if anything gets in the way of that, if anything gets in the way of our loves, of what we really love, what comes out is hatred and anger and division. And listen, it's got to be horrific. It has to be the fact that we cheat on God has to be so horrific. We can't even understand it because sin blinds us. It has to be horrific because God sent his son to die for it. Think about that. Why did he have to die? There had to be a reason. And here's what it says. It says that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you know what that word means? It's a great word. Well, I don't like that translation. Anyway, the, the word literally there, sacrifice to take away our sins, literally is propitiation. And that word means the one who bears the wrath. The one who takes the bullet the, is the hatred of God towards evil. And that's all of us uh, in our sin. That God, out of his great love for his glory and his son and the spirit and the world and the human beings that he created, has a hot Red-hot passion and hatred towards what is evil. And Jesus bore all that at the cross. That at the cross, Jesus took the bullet meant for you. At the cross, Jesus bore the wrath meant for you. And the hatred, uh, uh, God's hatred for sin for you. Right? Jesus came willingly between you and God to reconcile you to him. And you know what? Jesus came willingly. God didn't twist Jesus' arm behind his back, you go. No, Jesus said, I'll go. Out of great love, uh, he came so that he could save us from ourselves, from the love of self, the love of pleasure, the love of money, whatever it is. You see, that's love. That is God's definition. of Here's God's de- definition of love. It is a sacrifice on behalf of people who don't deserve it and who could never pay you back. That's love. Real love is a sacrifice for people who don't deserve it and who can never pay you back. That's what God did for us uh, in Christ. He came to forgive us and to cleanse us from our guilt. You know what? He didn't come because we earned it. He came despite that, right? He didn't come. He did not love us in return. He didn't love us uh, because we were worthy. God's love endures despite us that is real love that 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 is real love right there um and you know what it's a gift it's a here's god's love it's a free gift no strings attached to undeserving people uh so me and my wife we uh we exchanged uh gifts this year and the gifts that we got each other um were, were something that needed to be open before uh christmas day 
because, well, I got my wife a, um, an album from her favorite band, and they just happened to have a really, really amazing Christmas album. So I wanted her to be able to listen to it before Christmas. And she got me a really nice pair of binoculars because I was hunting uh, during hunting season, and I screwed up on a big buck because I was trying to find it in my binoculars. I couldn't find the thing. All right, so now I got some good binoculars, and I won't, I won't make that, that mistake again. But the, my point is they had to be opened immediately. And the love of God in Christ at the cross is a gift that needs to be opened right now. Have you opened that gift? Because God's, God's love is a free gift offering to you, right? And he's not going to force you to open it. But he wants, he wants you, he's asking you, will you receive it? Will you receive Jesus uh, into your life uh, as a free gift? Just as, you know, it, God sent prophet and preacher after preacher to God's people in Israel. And said, no, nah, we don't want that gift. Get that gift out of here. This is what he's doing with you here this morning through me. He's saying, here's the gift. I'm willing to welcome you into my family through Jesus. Will you, will you receive him? As a result, if you receive him right now, or if you already are a Christian, you are called to love like this. Sacrifice people who don't deserve it and never pay you back. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and 45. That's what Jesus says. Most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So God's children, God's family, God's church, God's people are called to love even their enemies. This is what his children look like. Right? We are to love even our enemies. Um, here's what this means. We as a church should be the most tolerant people in this community. Yeah. We ought to be the most tolerant people in this community. And I don't mean tolerant in the sense that we just accept everything, approve of everything. No, what I mean is we accept people uh, despite approving of what they do. Yeah, we accept them. We love them, right? We love even, even our enemies. I heard an interview with a, a pastor recently, and uh, it was a major news outlet. And they obviously didn't agree with him at all. And uh, the interviewer asked him, what would it be like if your small town became more Christian? He said, immediately, knee-jerk, it would be way more tolerant. It would be way more tolerant. Right? And this came as a surprise to her, but is it absolutely true? It is absolutely true. And even like research and data uh, backs this up. There was a study done, a university in Belgium found that atheists and ag agnostics were more intolerant than were religious people. Does that surprise you? Probably not if, 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 you, if you've been around hanging out with any of these folks. Uh, other studies have shown that folks that are more on the left, that is liberals, are typically thought to be more tolerant and more open-minded, right, were actually more likely to block, report, unfollow, unfriend people on social media. So those who are thought to be more tolerant are actually not as intolerant. Folks who, who might may, maybe down this end of the end of the spectrum. So here's my question to you: Is your bent to cancel folks or to come close to them? All right. See, a lot of folks uh, when they, they meet other people, they're around other people. They got they got a list of things that they're like, okay, tick 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 tick. 
Uh, canceled. I'm never, I'm never going to love this person. I'm never going to be friends with this person. I'm never going to uh, accept this person or, or anything like that. Is, is that you? I had an encounter with someone recently. That's what I felt like they were doing to me. They were trying to figure out whether they were going to cancel me or not. Right? Is, is your bent to cancel? Um, what about Hallmark movies? Hallmark movies. It's time to confess. Does anybody in here watch Hallmark movies during the Christmas season? We've got maybe one or two in here. Well, I was thinking about this, and I went down a rabbit rabbit trail, and I was looking up the history of the Hallmark organization. And then the organization is named after something that folks used to do way back in the day when they would take and they would imprint a piece of metal uh, and it was called a hallmark. So uh, maybe to, to uh, signify its purity or, or, or whatever, they would stamp um, a piece of metal. So that um, word, hallmark, stands for crappy movies. Or um, it can be used to refer to any distinguishing mark. So the distinguishing mark of the church and Christians is guess what? Love. Yes, that's a, that ought to be the distinguished mark of all your lives, and especially um, our uh, church. And I'll show you First John 4, verse 1. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, Jesus became the wrath-bearer for our sins, we also must love one another. Now, we ought to love each other. We ought to love one another. And let's just get down to the nitty-gritty on this. What does it look like? What does it look like? to really love each other and to be a tolerant group of people, right? What, what would it look like if, if the love of God was imprinted on our church, if it was stamped in there, and the hallmark of our church was love? I got three things. You guys ready for this? Okay, all right. Got a couple people. All right, well, I love you no matter what. How about that? Uh, the first is this, take interest in other people. That's what it looks like uh, to love others, take an interest. And here's how you can do that. We'll get real practical. Come early on Sundays and stay late. That's simple. Why would you do that? There are people here. There are people here that need to be loved and cared for and welcomed and, and, get, to know, and get to know them and, and stuff like that. Um, introduce yourself to someone that you don't know and do that every week. All right, that's, that's, that's practical. Um, and listen, we don't take an interest in other people because they're interesting. Right, we don't take an interest in, in other people because we have similar hobbies or things that we like. Or uh, No, uh, we don't do that because that's selfish. Right, we take an interest in other people because God's interested in them. He loves them. He made them. Sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to, uh, to die for them. That's pretty interesting uh, right there. Um, also, Jesus did not ask uh, us to feel like loving our neighbor. He didn't say, hey, listen, when you feel like loving your enemies, love them. No, he commanded us to do that despite how we feel. Yeah, that's what real love, that's what it, I'm talking to you about what it means to be a Christian. The hallmark is love, right? It means um, taking an interest in someone, uh, someone's spiritual uh, well-being. That is, we ought to care where people are at with Jesus. Do they know him? Do they, do they believe the gospel? Um, their walk with Christ, how are they doing? Number two, 
um, means taking initiative with other people. That means you take the first step. Yes, you take the first step towards other people. Isn't that what God did for us? It's not that we love God, but for people to come to us. All right, we go to them. We don't say, we don't say things like this. Um, I'm not being loved. No, the Bible doesn't say be loved. The Bible says love. You do it uh, for other people. This, here, here's a real uh, good question. Do you have each other's phone numbers? Do you have each other's phone numbers? Because taking the initiative looks like reaching out to other people, see how they're doing, maybe hang out with them, um, invite them over. I don't know, do, do something. But taking a step uh, towards other people means getting up out of your seat on Sunday morning and meeting um, new people, visitors. Right, taking the initiative means inviting you, inviting people uh, to community group. Right, uh, making sure they know uh, the address, the time. Making sure they know, hey, listen, right, we'll feed you there. Yeah, we got food. All you gotta do is show up and inviting, inviting them out. Text him, text message. Hey, I'd love to invite you out to group sometime. That means you gotta have their phone number uh, to do that. Um, taking initiative. I'm talking about the hallmark. What did it look like to have it imprinted on our church, right? Uh, means meddling in each other's lives. Yeah, that's what it looks like. When you say, when you sign up to become a Christian, here's what you're saying. I give you full permission to meddle in my life. That's what you're signing up to do. Because what you're saying is I give you permission to actually love me. To, uh, to ask me about my worries and my fears, my concerns, my sins, what I struggle with, and how can you pray for me? Uh, that's, that's what it looks like to take the initiative. Number three, and, and, and I'm done, is taking responsibility for others. What we're talking about is um, concrete action. Concrete action. It is basically uh, realizing that you are an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, that you are a tool in God's hands to work on other people, to serve them, to love them, to care for them. 1 John uh, verse three, eighteen, uh, chapter 3, verse 18 says this, little children, it's just an endearing way to talk about the church. Let us not love in word for action, steps, practical, hands-on, right? Listen, listen, God has placed people in your life for a reason. The people that God has put in your path, especially the people within this church, let us do good to everyone as we have an opportunity, especially the household of faith. That's what uh, the book of Galatians um, says. Right? Put them into your, in your life for a reason so that you take responsibility for their well-being. And uh, this is the beautiful thing. that Listen, Jesus is, Jesus is resurrected. He's with the Father. Right, and the way in which God's love endures, the way in which it shows up in the world is through his people. So you guys are the love of God here in this community. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. We are the body of Christ. In other words, we are his hands to love folks here in this community. You are his feet. Feet take steps Take steps towards my man Travis, towards David, right, towards Bubba, towards everybody. We take steps towards people to show them the love of Jesus. 
You see, this is how God's love endures forever. We end with this, Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord. Yeah, we we ought to. We ought to because he is good. Look at this. His faithful love endures forever. And this is what we are being reminded of today in this Advent season, that despite this world, right, we, we just sang it, long in sin and error pining away. Do you feel that? Do you feel the dark? We went to Walmart uh, yesterday uh, and uh, got, got a few things, and, and I just felt the weight of the emptiness and the hopelessness of the world. But thank God, thank God that his love came down into this dark world. It was made, God's love was wrapped up in a big old Christmas gift in the flesh of Jesus Christ so that we might receive it. We might have hope. Right? We might know the love of God. Right? And if you don't know it here today, you can right here, right, right now. Receive his gift. He loves you. Yes, he loves you. And this is what we want to celebrate um, here today. And we're going to do-